0: This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer yourself, please visit LibriVox.org. Today's reading by Alex Foster, www.alexfoster.me.uk. Around the World in Eighty Days, by Jules Verne. Chapter 16, in which Fix does not seem to understand in the least what is said to him. The Rangoon, one of the Peninsular and Oriental Company's boats, plying in the Chinese and Japanese seas, was a screw steamer, built of iron, weighing about 1,770 tons, and with engines of 400 horsepower. She was as fast, but not as well fitted up as the Mongolia, and odor was not as comfortably provided for on board of her as Phileas Fogg could have wished. However, the trip from Calcutta to Hong Kong only comprised some 3,500 miles, occupying from 10 to 12 days, and the young woman was not difficult to please. During the first days of the journey, Aouda became better acquainted with her protector, and constantly gave evidence of her deep gratitude for what he had done. The phlegmatic gentleman listened to her, apparently at least with coldness, neither his voice nor his manner betraying the slightest emotion. But he seemed to be always on the watch that nothing should be wanting to Aouda's comfort. He visited her regularly each day at certain hours, not so much to talk himself, as to sit and hear her talk. He treated her with the strictest politeness, but with the precision of an automaton, the movements of which had been arranged for this purpose. Aouda did not quite know what to make of him, although Passepartout had given her some hints of his master's eccentricity, and made her smile by telling her of the wager which was sending him around the world. After all, she owed Phileas Fogg her life, and she always regarded him through the exulting medium of her gratitude." "'Aouda confirmed the Parsi guide's narrative of her touching history. "'She did indeed belong to the highest of the native races of India. "'Many of the Parsi merchants have made great fortunes there by dealing in cotton, "'and one of them, Sir Jemetsi Jajiji Boy, was made a baronet by the English government. "'Aouda was a relative of this great man, and it was his cousin, Jiji, whom she hoped to join at Hong Kong. "'Whither she would find a protector in him she would not tell.' But Mr. Fogg essayed to calm her anxieties, and to assure her that everything would be mathematically, he used the very word, arranged. Aouda fastened her great eyes, clear as the sacred lakes of the Himalaya upon him. But the intractable fog, as reserved as ever, did not seem at all inclined to throw himself into this lake. The first few days of the voyage passed prosperously, amid favourable weather and propitious winds, and they soon came in sight of the great Andaman, the principal of the islands in the bay of bengal with its picturesque saddle peak two thousand four hundred feet high looming above the waters the steamer passed along near the shores but the savage papuans who are in the lowest scale of humanity but are not as been asserted cannibals did not make their appearance the panorama of the islands as they steamed by them was superb vast forests of palms arex bamboo teakwood of the gigantic mimosa and tree-like ferns covered the foreground, while behind the graceful outline of the mountains was traced against the sky, and along the coasts swarmed by thousands the precious swallows whose nests furnish a luxurious dish to the tables of the Celestial Empire. The varied landscape afforded by the Andaman Islands was soon passed, however, and the Rangoon rapidly approached the Straits of Malacca, which gave access to the China Seas. What was Detective Fix, so unluckily drawn on from country to country, doing all this while? He had managed to embark on the Rangoon at Calcutta without being seen by Passepartout, after leaving orders that, if the warren should arrive, it should be forwarded to him at Hong Kong, and he hoped to conceal his presence to the end of the voyage. It would have been difficult to explain why he was on board without awakening Passepartout's suspicions, who thought him still at Bombay but necessity impelled him nevertheless to renew his acquaintance with the worthy servant, as will be seen. All the detective's hopes and wishes were now centred on Hong Kong, for the steamer's stay at Singapore would be too brief to enable him to take any steps there. The arrest must be made at Hong Kong, or the robber would, probably, escape him forever. Hong Kong was the last English ground on which he would set foot. Beyond, China, Japan, America, offered to fog an almost certain refuge. If the warrant should at last make its appearance at Hong Kong, Fix could arrest him and give him into the hands of the local police, and there would be no further trouble. But beyond Hong Kong, a simple warrant would be of no avail. An extradition warrant would be necessary, and that would result in delays and obstacles of which the rascal would take advantage to elude justice. Fix thought over these probabilities during the long hours which he spent in his cabin, and kept repeating to himself now either the warrant will be at hong kong in which case i shall arrest my man or it will not be there and this time it is absolutely necessary that i should delay his departure i have failed at bombay and i have failed at calcutta if i fail at hong kong my reputation is lost cost what it may i must succeed but how shall i prevent his departure if that should turn out to be my last resource fix made up his mind that if worst came to worst he would make a confidant of passepartout and tell him what kind of fellow his master really was. That Passepartout was not Fogg's accomplice he was very certain. The servant, enlightened by his disclosure and afraid of being himself implicated in the crime, would doubtless become an ally of the detective. But this method was a dangerous one, only to be employed when everything else had failed. A word from Passepartout to his master would ruin all. The detective was therefore in a sore strait. But suddenly a new idea struck him. The presence of odour on the Rangoon, in company with Phileas Fogg, gave him new material for for reflection. Who was this woman? What combination of events had made her Fogg's travelling companion? They had evidently met somewhere between Bombay and Calcutta, but where? Had they met accidentally, or had Fogg gone into the interior purposefully in quest of this charming damsel? Fix was fairly puzzled. He asked himself whether there had not been a wicked elopement, and this idea so impressed itself upon his mind that he determined to make use of the supposed intrigue. Whether the young woman were married or not, he would be able to create such difficulties for Mr. Fogg at Hong Kong that he could not escape by paying any amount of money. But could he even wait till they reached Hong Kong? Fogg had an abominable way of jumping from one boat to another, and, before anything could be effected, might get full under way again for Yokohama." Fix decided that he must warn the English authorities and signal the Rangoon before her arrival. This was easy to do since the steamer stopped at Singapore whence there is a telegraphic wire to Hong Kong. He finally resolved, moreover, before acting more positively, to question Passepartout. It would not be difficult to make him talk, and, as there was no time to lose, Fix prepared to make himself known. It was now the 30th of October, and on the following day the Rangoon was due at Singapore. "'Fix emerged from his cabin and went on deck. "'Passepartout was promenading up and down "'in the forward part of the steamer. "'The detective rushed forward with every appearance of extreme surprise "'and exclaimed, "'You, here, on the Rangoon? "'What, Monsieur Fix, are you on board?' "'returned the really astonished Passepartout, recognizing his crony of the Mongolia. "'Why, I left you at Bombay, "'and here you are on the way to Hong Kong. "'Are you going round the world too?' "'No, no,' replied Fix, "'I shall stop at Hong Kong, at least for some days.' "'Hum,' said Passepartout, who seemed for an instant perplexed. "'But how is it? I have not seen you on board since we left Calcutta. "'Oh, a trifle of seasickness. I have been staying in my berth. The Gulf of Bengal does not agree with me as well as the Indian Ocean. "'And how is Mr. Fogg?' "'As well, and as punctual as ever. Not a day behind time. But, Monsieur Fix, you don't know we have a young lady with us?' "'A young lady?' replied the detective, not seeming to comprehend what was said. Passepartout thereupon recounted a history, the affair at the Bombay pagoda, the purchase of the elephant for two thousand pounds, the rescue, the arrest and sentence of the Calcutta court, and the restoration of Mr. Fogg and himself to liberty on bail. Fix, who was familiar with the last events, seemed to be equally ignorant of all that Passepartout related, and the latter was charmed to find so interested a listener. "'But does your master propose to carry this young woman to Europe?' "'Not at all. We are simply going to place her under the protection of one of our relatives, a rich merchant at Hong Kong.' Mm, "'Nothing to be done there,' said Fix to himself, concealing his disappointment. "'A glass of gin, Mr. Passepartout?' "'Willingly, Monsieur Fix. We must at least have a friendly glass on board the Rangoon.'" CHAPTER Seventeen. SHOWING WHAT HAPPENED ON THE VOYAGE FROM SINGAPORE TO HONG KONG The detective and passepartout met often on deck after this interview, though Fix was reserved, and did not attempt to induce his companion to divulge any more facts concerning Mr. Fogg. He caught a glimpse of that mysterious gentleman once or twice, but Mr. Fogg usually confined himself to the cabin where he kept a odor company, or, according to his inveterate habit, took a hand at whist passepartout began very seriously to conjecture what strange chance kept fix still on the route that his master was pursuing it was really worth considering why this certainly very amiable and complacent person whom he had first met at suez and then encountered on board the mongolia who disembarked at bombay which he had announced as his destination and now turned up so unexpectedly on the ragoon was following mr fogg's tracks step by step what was fix's object Passepartout was ready to wager his Indian shoes, which he religiously preserved, that Fix would also leave Hong Kong at the same time with them, and probably on the same steamer. Passepartout might have cudgelled his brain for a century without hitting upon the real object which the detective had in view. He never could have imagined that Phileas Fogg was being tracked as a robber around the globe. But as it is in human nature to attempt the solution of every mystery, passepartout suddenly discovered an explanation of fix's movements which in truth was far from unreasonable fix he thought could only be an agent of mr fogg's friends at the reform club sent to follow him up and to ascertain that he really went round the world as had been agreed upon it's clear repeated the worthy servant to himself proud of his shrewdness he's a spy sent to keep us in view that isn't quite the thing either is it to be spying mr fogg who is so honourable a man ah gentlemen of the reform, this shall cost you dear passepartout enchanted with his discovery resolved to say nothing to his master lest he should be justly offended at this mistrust on the part of his adversaries but he determined to chafe fix when he had the chance with mysterious allusions which however need not betray his real suspicions during the afternoon of wednesday thirtieth of october The Rangoon entered the Strait of Malacca, which separates the peninsula of that name from Sumatra. The mountainous and craggy Islets intercepted the beauties of this noble island from the view of the travellers. The Rangoon weighed anchor at Singapore the next day at four a.m. to receive coal, having gained half a day on the prescribed time of her arrival. Phileas Fogg noted this gain in his journal, and then, accompanied by Aouda, who betrayed a desire for a walk on shore, disembarked. Fix, who suspected mr fogg's every movement followed them cautiously without being himself perceived while passepartout laughing in his sleeve at fix's manoeuvres went about his usual errands the island of singapore is not imposing in aspect for there are no mountains yet its appearance is not without attractions it is a park chequered by pleasant highways and avenues a handsome carriage drawn by a sleek pair of new holland horses carried phileas fog and aouda into the midst of rows of palms with brilliant foliage and of clove trees whereof the cloves formed the heart of a half-open flower pepper plants replaced the prickly hedges of european fields sago bushes large ferns with gorgeous branches varied the aspect of this tropical clime while nutmeg trees in full foliage filled the air with a penetrating perfume agile and grinning bands of monkeys skipped about in the trees nor were tigers wanting in the jungles. After a drive of two hours through the country, Aouda and Mr. Fogg returned to the town, which is a vast collection of heavy-looking irregular houses, surrounded by charming gardens rich in tropical fruits and plants. At ten o'clock they re-embarked, closely followed by the detective, who had kept them constantly in sight. Passepartout, who had been purchasing several dozen mangoes a fruit as large as good-sized apples of a dark brown colour outside and a bright red within and whose white pulp melting in the mouth affords gormans a delicious sensation was waiting for them on deck he was only too glad to offer some mangoes to aouda who thanked him very gracefully for them at eleven o'clock the rangoon rode out of singapore harbour and in a few hours the high mountains of Malacca, with their forests, inhabited by the most beautifully furred tigers in the world, were lost to view. Singapore is distant some thirteen hundred miles from the island of Hong Kong, which is a little English colony near the Chinese coast. Phileas Fogg hoped to accomplish the journey in six days, so as to be in time for the steamer which would leave on the sixth of November for Yokohama, the principal Japanese port. The Rangoon had a large quota of passengers many of whom disembarked at Singapore, among them a number of Indians, Silanese, Chinamen, Malays, and Portuguese, mostly second-class travellers. The weather, which had hitherto been fine, changed with the last quarter of the moon. The sea rolled heavily, and the wind at intervals rose almost to a storm, but happily blew from the southwest, and thus aided the steamer's progress the captain as often as possible put up his sails, and under the double action of steam and sail the vessel made rapid progress along the coasts of Annam and Cochin, China. Owing to the defective construction of the Rangoon, however, unusual precautions became necessary in unfavourable weather. But the loss of time which resulted from this cause, while it nearly drove Passepartout out of his senses, did not seem to affect his master in the least. Passepartout blamed the captain, the engineer, and the crew, and consigned all who were connected with the ship to the land where the pepper grows. Perhaps the thought of the gas, which was remorselessly burning at his expense in Savile Row, had something to do with his hot impatience. "'You are in a great hurry, then,' said Fix to him one day, "'to reach Hong Kong. A very great hurry. Mr. Fogg, I suppose, is anxious to catch the steamer for Yokohama?' "'Terribly anxious.' You believe in this journey round the world, then?" "'Absolutely. Don't you, Mr. Fix?" "'I? I don't believe a word of it." "'You're a sly dog,' said Passepartout, winking at him." This expression rather disturbed Fix without his knowing why. Had the Frenchman guessed his real purpose? He knew not what to think, but how could Passepartout have discovered that he was a detective? Yet in speaking as he did the man evidently meant more than he expressed. Passepartout went still further the next day. He could not hold his tongue. "'Mr. Fix,' said he, in a bantering tone, "'shall we be so unfortunate as to lose you when we get to Hong Kong?' "'Why?' responded Fix, a little embarrassed. "'I don't know. Perhaps—' "'Ah, if only you could go on with us. An agent of the Peninsula Company you know can't stop on the way. "'You are only going to Bombay, and here you are in China.' "'America is not far off, and from America to Europe is only a step.' Fix looked intently at his companion, whose countenance was as serene as possible, and laughed with him. But Passepartout persisted in chafing him by asking him as if he made much by his present occupation. "'Yes and no,' returned Fix. "'There is good and bad luck in such things. But you must understand that I don't travel at my own expense.' "'Oh! I am quite sure of that,' cried Passepartout, laughing heartily." "'Fix, fairly puzzled, descended to his cabin and gave himself up to his reflections. "'He was evidently suspected. "'Somehow or other the Frenchman had found out that he was a detective. "'But had he told his master? "'What part was he playing in all this? "'Was he an accomplice or not? "'Was the game then up? "'Fix spent several hours turning these things over in his mind, "'sometimes thinking that all was lost, "'then persuading himself that Fogg was ignorant of his presence, "'and then undecided what course was best to take.' Nevertheless, he preserved his coolness of mind, and at last resolved to deal plainly with Passepartout. If he did not find it practicable to arrest Fogg at Hong Kong, and if Fogg made preparations to leave that last foothold of English territory, he, Fix, would tell Passepartout all. Either the servant was the accomplice of his master, and in this case the master knew of his operations and he should fail, or else the servant knew nothing about the robbery, and then his interest would be to abandon the robber such was the situation between fix and passepartout meanwhile Phileas fogg moved about above them in the most majestic and unconscious indifference he was passing methodically in his orbit around the world regardless of the lesser stars which gravitated around him yet there was near by what the astronomers would call a disturbing star which might have produced an agitation in this gentleman's heart but no the charms of Aouda failed to act to passepartout's great surprise and the disturbances, if they existed, would have been more difficult to calculate than those of Uranus, which led to the discovery of Neptune. It was every day an increasing wonder to Passepartout, who read in Aouda's eyes the depth of her gratitude to his master. Phileas Fogg, though brave and gallant, must be, he thought, quite heartless. As to the sentiment which this journey might have awakened in him, there was clearly no trace of such a thing, while poor Passepartout existed in perpetual reveries. One day he was leaning on the railing of the engine-room, and was observing the engine, when a sudden pitch of the steamer threw the screw out of the water. The steam came hissing out of the valves, and this made Passepartout indignant. "'The valves are not sufficiently charged,' he exclaimed. "'We are not going! Oh, these English! If this was an American craft we should blow up, perhaps! But we would at all events go faster.' End of chapter 17 Recorded by alexfoster.me.uk For LibriVox.org On the 29th of November 2007